Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey guys, Willie Geist here with another episode of the Sunday Sit-Down Podcast. My thanks as always for clicking and listening along. Excited to bring you my conversation this week with the great Idris Elba. Man, has he been in some good movies, and his latest is no exception. If you watch the series Luther, the BBC series that ran for five seasons where he plays a tough cop, a detective in London, you are going to love this movie. That was a very popular series in the UK, made the jump over to the United States. And now the movie Luther, The Fallen Son, a full-length Netflix film with that same character. I didn't realize before I started looking into his background and studying him a little bit, how connected Idris is to New York City, which is why we did the interview in a special bar called the King Cole Bar in Midtown Manhattan. It's a place that resembles, let's just say, one of the scenes in the movie. And we sat in there and it's this historic old bar from 1932 in New York City where they like to say they invented the Bloody Mary. I don't know if that's true, but let's go with it. People like Dolly and John Lennon and Joe DiMaggio and all these icons from different universes who moved in and out of New York would sit and gather and huddle and talk. So we felt like it was a cool space for a cool guy. But he came here from London where he grew up. Uh, his father worked in a Ford motor plant. He, after high school, worked in the same motor plant, did Idris, and then decided he was going to be an actor. Took the bold step at 19 years old of moving to New York City. And you'll hear about a decade of struggle living out of a van when he read the script for The Wire, the obviously iconic HBO series that started just about 20 years ago, a little more, that changed his life and the trajectory of his career. A lot to talk about with Idris a fascinating life story, an amazing varied career, landing him now in this great big movie version on Netflix of Luther. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Idris Elba right now on the Sunday Sit-Down Podcast. Thanks for doing this, Idris. Good to see you. Good to see you too, man. Nice to be here. Welcome back to New York. Mm. I know this is a special place for you. Yeah, it is. And we're in kind of a bar that I thought maybe Luther would hang out in. I like the, the ambiance. You know? It's a very cool. So what's the history here? Is it like a old It's school? been here like a hundred years. Mm. Some of the most famous New Yorkers, artists, writers mm. kind of would hang out and huddle in the corner, just mm. like you and I are doing. Right, yeah. Having so deep it, yeah. conversations <laughs> about the important matters of the day. Yeah, scraping the barrel with me, but you know, I'll <laughs> me take <too>. it. <laughs> we'll, we'll bring down the average together. Congratulations on the movie. Uh, I was just telling you, I watched it last night, and it's still with me. I think it's a little bit knot in my stomach from watching it. <laughs> People know your character. They love the character from the Ooh, series. Yeah. Tell me about the decision to turn it into a movie. Why was that a good leap for you? I guess, you know, we uh, the, sh the show always had a sort of filmic sensibility to it. Just the style of it, just the, the sort of you know pacing and tone of it felt a little bit more like a movie than your average TV show. Um, and that was from the onset. And, you know, that became the sort of fabric. And so as, you know, 
in success from season one to season two. And we had this little bit of an unorthodox sort of timing and episode, you know, sort of distribution of it. So sometimes it'd be six episodes and then Neil would just do four and then, and then we'll wait for two years and then Neil would do one. I mean, it was really sort of, um, so that became sort of, I guess, the blueprint for like, what if we did this on a larger scale, like a movie, like really had that muscularity, that scale to it. Let's take Luther outside of what we call Lutherland, which is at UK, London, and put him into another environment and make it bigger. And, uh, you know, I think it, it was definitely like a big ambition for us, but I always felt that we'd make it. So Luther, for fans of the series, will look familiar. He is Luther, except mm. at the beginning of the movie anyway, and you can give away as much as you want mm. not want to give away, we find him in a dir- different circumstance than yeah. we've seen him before. Well, like, you know, I mean, if anyone hasn't seen Luther, what you're going to see is a detective that's in jail. And for those who know Luther, you know, at the end of season five, no spoilers, but at the end of season five, he goes to jail. And, and that's where we pick up the story. It's, the film is definitely sort of really soaked and characterizing all the Luther traits. You know what I mean? It's got the coat, it's got the vibe, but it's just bigger. Um, and, the, you know, I guess one of the challenges for us is really to figure out how to, you know, keep the day one fans happy with all the sort of Lutherisms and then introduce that to a new audience and, and make the film stand alone. And that was the challenge. And, you know, Neil, Neil Cross, the writer, he did a great job of doing that. I think what's cool about it is you do not have to have watched all those previous seasons of Luther to dive right into this movie and understand what's going on. Though you may now want to go back and watch Luther yeah. because you like the movie so much. You've yeah. also assembled an amazing cast, mm. some new players along with you. We were just mm. talking about Cynthia Revo. Amazing. And, amazing. And Andy Circus, who... Yeah, he's gonna haunt my dreams for for, <laughs> for weeks to come. He is kind of creepy. Isn't it? Once you saw that group of great actors coming together, it had to thrill you even more. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, you know we always have had great actors play roles that are just like relatable creeps. You know, what I mean? like it's uh, <laughs> a great term. <laughs> he's a relatable creep, but Andy took it, I guess, to another level. I mean, obviously, he's a great, well-renowned, well-respected character actor. Um, and uh, this character is quite relatable, right? Kind of like, yeah, it could be anyone. But then he takes that sort of, you know, like dark side to another level. And then Cynthia, of course, you know, I was I was really excited to work with Cynthia. She's a bit of a polymath, you know, like yeah. me. And she does music, she, you know, she writes books and such. And so, you know, this was a different role for her. You know, she's a tiny powerhouse and, you know, this character that she plays is essentially DCI Luther's replacement once he's gone to jail. And so, you know, it was, it was, it was just a really great energy. Jamie Payne, our director, you know, hats off to him for just sort of helping me slot the right players in the right, in the right places in the film. It looks like a lot of fun as a viewer to play this character. Nope. No? <laughs> just brutal because you're getting beat up so much? Getting up at 4 a.m. <laughs> in the rain, cold. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just like, can we do a Luther where he's uh, in Hawaii? <laughs> and there's like, you know, uh, maybe it's a tropical storm, so there is some rain, <laughs> but not so cold. I smell a sequel. 100%. 100%. Hawaii. Yeah. 
Luther Luther Jamaica. <laughs> no, but um, I mean, I say it isn't fun. I played him for 10 years and he was yeah. one of my, you know, sort of dearest characters, if you like. And what do you think it is that has so appealed to audiences, first with the series and now they certainly will with the movie? What is it about this guy that people like to watch? I think, you know, first of all, people love detectives, right? There's That's something true. about the guy that comes in and says, hmm, I wonder how they did this, right? That's a good genre, well played. Um, I think at the time when, talking about 2010, when I got this opportunity to play a detective, mind you, you know, the, the most iconic role that I played prior to that was Stringer Bell, right? So for me, playing a detective on the other side of the fence, you know, Stringer on as a drug dealer and Detective Luther, for me, that was like, yeah, I get to reinvent something and myself, actually. And um, there's something about Luther being this forthright character that will stop at nothing. You know, he doesn't mind being cancelled. <laughs> he doesn't mind, you know, sort of offending a few people or breaking a few hands or toes to get where he needs to go. And that was quite, you know, for BBC at the time, that was like, whoa, a bit racy. You know, he's not safe. Right. Luther's not safe. The first episode of the first season, you know, he lets his perpetrator die. He lets them die while looking at their eyes. And you're like, is this the detective or is this like the bad guy? And so I think for me as an actor, that was a sort of a gift of a part because it's such a spectrum. On one side, he has this sort of really tough exterior. And on the other side of him, he has like a very sensitive, damaged sort of personality that lives underneath him. And that, as, a, as an actor, that's a great spectrum to play across, you know? I was interested to see you say in a couple of other interviews that no reflection on your future plans, but that the template is sort of the James Bond character, <laughs> which is we want to have this kind of character, but certainly he has a harder edge than James Bond. So what do you mean when you say that? I mean, I, I really, I don't want to compare John Luther to James Bond, but in the, you know, in the whirlwind of conversations around me playing James Bond, I've always said, look, you know, wait till we see John Luther in a movie, because I feel like the real estate is the same in the sense that James Bond is this sort of, you know, very charismatic character in these really unusual situations. And some of them are relatable, but most of them are not. J uh, John Luther is uh, an ordinary detective with sort of extraordinary circumstances, but very relatable. You know, right. we're not talking about end of the world crime. We're talking about guys that have real bad sort of ethics. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And he he can't stand that. But what the film has now given us is taking this central character, Luther, and putting him in these landscapes in these scenarios uh, that could be as epic as the ones that James Bond sort of covers, you know what I mean? And I hope people kind of go, wow, James versus John, you know what I mean? Like, I really hope that. Don't think I didn't notice. There's a moment at a bar, you're sitting there almost <laughs> like you are right here. You talk to the bartender. I guess I won't give it away. But what, was that an intentional reference I, I, to I Bond? Didn't, I didn't write that. I didn't write that. That was like, I remember seeing that in the script and was like, are we sure, bro? I mean, this is like, it's right on the nose. And Neil was like, yeah, let's do it. So, um, you know, a little bit of fun. Was that a nod to the outside calls for you to play James Bond? No. 
purposely, but you know, <laughs> I think uh, those who know know. It's a great moment. So now you've you certainly raised the question then com- with the Bond comparison, the franchise anyway of sequels. Mm. It feels to me, having just watched the movie, like there's more to come. Yeah, fair to say, or at least that's the way you'd like it to go. Uh, I think it's fair to say that. Yeah, I think that the ending again really sort of opens that door for one of the possibilities. Where does John? go next and I think that's quite on purpose Um, I think we all you know have a sort of wish to take a a few chapters and and see this landscape grow and grow I I do I mean um, I feel like there's so much we can offer because Luther land is really wherever Luther goes Mm. so if, if we saw Luther in Colombia and it had that same sort of Luther aesthetic and it's dark, you know, I think that would still be as engaging as seeing him in sort of London as we know it. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. It's, it's so much fun. Yeah, yeah. I suspect there'll be another chapter in, the, so, in this story. So. Um, we were just talking before we started. I didn't fully appreciate how deep your New York City roots are as we sit Ooh. in this bar in New York. You grew up in London, of course, child of immigrants mm-hmm. um, in the U.K., so before you got to New York, how and when was the seed to become an actor planted? How did you get to that place from a place that was so far from Hollywood or show business? Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I knew in high school, secondary school for, for me, that I wanted to be an actor. I knew that at the age of 16 that this was sort of my career path. I just didn't know how to get there. And as soon as I left school, I sort of, you know, got into college I sort of did a performing arts course, which sort of covered all the bases. But it was right there when I sort of got introduced to method acting and Robert De Niro, especially Mm. Robert De Niro, Marlon Brando. Um, Lee Strasberg was a sort of technique and it was very, you know, sort of attached to New York. And that was the beginning. That was like, okay, these type of actors come from this particular type of training method. That's in New York City. So I, was, I just became fixated. By the time I was, so that was 16. By the time I was 19, after two years college, you know, I worked with my dad. My dad worked at Ford's Motor Company. I worked with him for a little bit. And then I saved enough money and I was like, I'm going to New York. And everyone's going, all my friends were like, you're going where? What? New York? What's in New York? Who do you know? I was like, my career's in New York. I want to go to New York. It's like, it's like <laughs> you're not even acting. You're not even an actor yet. You want to go to New York? Good luck. And, uh, yeah, 19, you know, saved up a ticket, came to New York, uh, landed at JFK, I think, moved into a YMCA for, for like, I don't know, three or four weeks. I was just milling around Union Square, just like, wow, because Lee, Lee Strasberg was around that area at the time. And I loved it. That's what, that was the beginning of my love affair. What did your parents think about this leap at 19 years old? You know, my dad was pretty impressed that I, you know, sort of mustered up the money and the courage and the, the plan to go to New York. My mum was mortified. She mm-hmm. had all these misconceptions of what New York was. You're going to get killed. You're going to get murdered. There's lots of gangs. Um, but it didn't, it didn't, you know, I think later on, they sort of very proud of me coming to New York because it was a big, bold move, you yeah. know what I mean, for a little East London guy. This is before, you know, there's been an exodus of sort of actors coming to the UK, from, from the UK to the US. 
I kind of feel like I was one of the first. You know what I mean? Pioneer, yeah. And it's not like you had a gig booked. You just kind no, of blindly exactly. hopped across the Atlantic to come here. And yeah. it wasn't it wasn't easy for many, many years. Yeah. Finding jobs, you were DJing and bouncing and paying your rent and doing yeah. all the things you had to do to yeah. survive. So what were those early years in America like for a young, struggling actor? I mean, you know, after my first trip, I came to New York for about three or four years. I didn't really know how I was actually going to get a job here or get the visa to come here. And eventually I got a, a window. I I booked a pilot. I got my O-1 visa and I was here. And so that was sort of the sort of 96, 97. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, at that junction, I had been working in the UK. I saved up a little bit of money. And I was like, I'm going to New York to do it. Got the O-1. And, you know... I think I'd saved up somewhere like 36,000 pounds and used it all within six months. Mm-hmm. And I was broke. And I was not booking jobs. Casting directors were interested, but not really. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, don't come to a place where they already have hamburgers. You have to come with something <laughs> different. Okay? So there's really good actors here. But I just came with this dream, and then I was really, I'm, I'm a tenacious guy, you know. I stick at it. And so... I wouldn't say the third, three years were sort of auditioning for things, getting this close, not getting it. As you as you know, I was sort of trying to make make ends meet as as many ways as I could. Fell in love with New York, moved out of New York, moved into uh, Jersey City, and I mean, I'm not gonna lie, it was tough. It wasn't easy. Um, it was a great time, you know. New York City uh, is just one of the most cultured places in the world. Definitely pre-9-11 it was. You know, it was just one of these places you could walk into a bar and meet someone interested and then, you know, spark a friendship. Mm. Um, So it wasn't like all doom and gloom, but as far as my career was concerned, it wasn't moving. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Sunday Sit-Down Podcast. Stick around to hear more from Idris Elba right after the break. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. Welcome back. Now, more of my conversation with Idris Elba. So we were just talking about whether you had any doubts. Maybe it was time to go back home. Definitely. I mean, you know, it was, um, it's not cheap to live in this part of the world, you know, if you're not really earning a wage. And uh, I had doubts. Um, Thankfully, you know, I had an agent in London who is still my agent to this day. And every now and again, he'd be like, hey, do you want to book a job in London and come make some money? And I'd be like, great, yeah. I'd come home, book a, you know, a small TV gig or whatever, make enough money to tide me over. 
And then I remember, my, I think one of the first jobs I booked here was um, Law and Order. Mm-hmm. Played a small role in Law and Order. And so that many was people like, start that way, right? Ah, I yeah. made it, I made it. Yeah. And then I got a play, an off-Broadway play, um, Troilus and Cressida. And, you know, these things just kept me going. Like, the dream's right there. Yeah. Uh, and I was auditioning for really great films, you know. I auditioned for Brown Sugar. I auditioned for... Uh, I used to go up against Omar Epps mm-hmm. quite a bit. Omar Epps? Yeah. Yeah, Omar Epps. Yeah. Uh, I guess he and I sort of had a similar profile and would end up in the same thing, but he was obviously way more famous than me and uh, got it. And so is it true that when the script for The Wire came your way, you were in the Astro van? Is there any <laughs> truth to that? Yeah. You were spending a few nights in the van? Yeah, yeah. It was, a, it was a very tough time. I was, you know, I was married at the time, and, and uh, my wife and I were going through a very bad time. You know, she was pregnant. It was just a rough time. Mm. I could barely scrape enough money for, uh, you know, unborn child and... So I had to move out of the apartment we had, and I had this van. I lived in a van for a little bit. And, you know, you know, at the time, I was sort of like, look, I just have to do what I have to do. You know, I DJ, finish my set, couldn't really go home, so I'd just stay in the van, park it up, and just stay there. And that was for, like, you know, maybe two months, maybe. Uh, but at the time, I was auditioning during the day. And, you know, my daughter was due to be born sort of like early January. And we're talking about November now. And this script comes in. It's like, you know, this is a pilot. You know, again, I was seeing really good casting directors by this junction, okay? This pilot's come in. It's called The Wire. Going to see the guys. But do yourself a favor. Don't speak in your own accent, you know? Just keep it uh, American. And I, I did. And I've told this story, you know, many times, but that was like, I have to get this role. If I don't get this role, my daughter's going to be born. Mm. I'm broke. Like, what am I going to do? I have to take, you know, take her back to London, figure something out. You know what I mean? Like, that was it. Um, so amazing how it works. You know, I stuck at that. I stuck at this audition and I get kept getting callbacks, kept getting callbacks. I'm like, whoa, this is, could this be? Could this be me? And I was so used to getting that close and not getting it. And I, and I thought that maybe this was the one uh, that I'd get. And quite frankly, it was the moment that my daughter was born. I literally got the phone call that, hey, you know, we want to offer you the role. The same day. The bell. Yeah, exactly the same day. Yeah. I don't know if you believe in fate, but there was something going on that I, day. I mean, of course I do. That's of incredible. Do. That's it was incredible. A, it was a really special time. Changed my life. Changed my, my daughter's life, you know. What did that mean to you professionally then when that show became such an iconic series and such a success and everyone knew your name and your face and you weren't this close anymore, you were there. Yeah. What did that mean as you went forward in your career? You know, it just restored my faith, man. Like, that's yeah. bottom line, you know what I mean? It's really easy to sort of sort of have no faith, but when when stuff's really tough and you just, you know, should I give up or shouldn't I? Hmm. Don't give up. As, as bleak as it's my, and honestly, that story you couldn't get any more bleak than that. You know what I mean? Like, I have a child coming. I'm broke. I'm living in, a, in America, in New York City, and then 
you know, there it came. So it meant a lot to me. It was a life changer. Um, it changed my life financially, obviously, but it really did catapult my career into essentially, you know, what I'm, I'm still dining off that, that life-changing moment. The crazy thing is in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that long ago that you were broke and not sure if you're going to be able to support your family and all uh, those things and look at you now 21 years ago yeah well I, mean, I guess i'm getting older that doesn't seem that long ago to me i know but someone told me like the why is like 20 something years yeah. old i'm like wait what yeah. how did that happen i know that's wild yeah it? but I, I remember especially when i come back to new york we're going back to you know being in new york i come back i i spent a lot of time sort of daydreaming on these streets you know what i mean a lot you know um when i was doing door work for caroline's I lived in Jersey City, so I'd take the PATH train up to 34th Street, jump out at 34th Street because it was cheaper, and just walk. Walk up to, you know, Caroline's Comedy Club. And that walk was always like meditation for me. Walk through Times Square, looking up at all the movie posters and being like, one day. And you know what I mean? Like, that's why when I come back to New York, it's so much memories. Good memories, but just memories it gives you a chance to pinch yourself a little, a little too bit. right yeah. i used to be walking these streets not knowing where this was headed and, and here you are now. keep it keep, keeps me grounded stick around for more of my conversation with idris elba right after a quick break bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022 investments like acquiring america's largest biogas producer archaea energy and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top quality personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com/offer/seriousxm. Welcome back now to the rest of my conversation with Idris Elba. And the, the cool thing is from there, the variety of projects, that, mm. you know, from whether you're talking about The Office or Mandela and Luther, of course, and all these amazing series mm. and going to the Marvel Cinematic Universe <laughs> um, and getting all these opportunities. Talk about night and day where you couldn't, you couldn't find couldn't a job. Book. And now yeah. all of a sudden it's like, we want you to be in all these Marvel movies. Yeah. It's got to be sort of a head trip to say I can sort of have my choice now of things that I want to do. Definitely, yeah. I still, you know, someone asked me the other day, like, do you still audition? I was like, no. Like, it was, <laughs> it was like an arrogant moment. I was just like, no, I don't audition ever, you know. Um, it, it's a very, very different scenario now. It's Sometimes you get a phone call from a director that you admired and they're like, hey, do you want to have a conversation. What do you want to make? Um, uh, what do I want to make? Okay. I mean, yeah. Have you ever had a chance to tell De Niro how he inspired you? You know what? No. Oh, we got to make that happen. I know. I, I mean, I, I've said it in so many interviews, and I was like, well, I'm going to meet De Niro. And he's like, dude, you, you actually inspired me. You know, he had a, an office down in... Um, Tribeca. Tribeca. Yeah. I, I literally fanboyed out one day and just went to his office 
And uh, I think he, I had read in the stage that he was um, the, the stage newspaper, mm-hmm. that he was holding auditions for a, a Bronx Tale. Is it a Bronx Tale? Yeah. It was his film he was directing. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, I, I got to be in this. You know what I mean? I got to find a way to be right. in it. And uh, sort of did a little research and found out that maybe he was hold, holding auditions at his office. Well, what I didn't know is that he was, but... They'd already done the auditions. So I show up and I said, oh, I've got an audition at the front desk. And they're like, where? And I'm saying, oh, you know, um, Mr. De Niro's thing. So I guess I was just late or whatever, like the auditions had passed. So the front desk didn't seem weirded by it. It was like, okay, go up to the eighth floor. I get to the eighth floor and the receptionist says, hi, how can I help you? I said, oh, I'm here for a Bronx Tale audition. And she was like, huh. Okay. Um, okay. Hold up. She calls this woman up. Yeah, he's... Oh, okay. No problem. Cool. She goes, yeah, go up to the next floor. So now I know I'm blagging this, right? I'm like, wow, I'm going up to the next floor. This must be where Bob De Niro is. I get up. She op- she has a, like a key, goes up to this next floor, and this woman comes out. And she's like, hi, who are you? I said, oh, oh, my name's Idris, Uh, here's my resume. She's like, how did you get in this building? I said, oh, I'm auditioning for a Bronx Tale. She's like, honey, we already did the auditions. I'm just curious to know how you got in here. I was like, "Um, well, I just did some research and I I hustled it. She was like, wow, you've got some nuts on you, boy. I tell you, I have to. Um, Okay, I'll take your resume, uh, but we don't have any more auditions. See you later. Wow. True story. Wow. And I was like, okay. You know, it would be fun if we went down there right now and did that again. <laughs> I'm here to see Bob. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I've got to ask you, because we talked about it before I let you go, about your DJing career. Because it's not like, you've been doing this for a long time. It's not like a famous actor vanity thing that you just discovered. You've been doing this for a long time. Mm. You're playing Coachella again this year. Yep. You've played Royal Weddings. Mm-hmm. What is that give to you what does that do for you as an artist that maybe acting can't even do i mean it's a performance art you know djing is a performance art you you stand in front of an audience and you perform and they react you get their emotion you get that you know celebratory feeling um i've always dj'd since i was probably 10 12 i started djing sort of semi-professional with my uncle um, so for me now, it's just a, it's a ground zero for me. You know what I mean? It's like, it keeps me very grounded. It's also a career. Um, and I've worked really hard at it. I, you know, I, I tried to really avoid the sort of celebrity DJ thing. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of went the longer, harder route. I played tech house. It's a very congested space. There's some great, 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 great performers and DJs in that space. But, you know, hard work, uh, I'm, I'm still at it. Um, and I love it, man. I really, really love it. it keeps me grounded. Um, music's kind of like a, a sort of a meditation for me. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I'm sort of self-taught when, when it comes to sort of making music. and But I, I just have it in my blood. I love it. And difficult in a different way, I would think. Because your job is to keep everybody bouncing for a half an hour or whatever it is you better get everybody right exactly you know and that that's magic when it happens you play a song and there's five thousand people hands in the air 
That energy, you can't get that in films. You can get that maybe in theatre, but it's not as reactive. Mm. So with the music, it's like, you know, you're really channeling into an energy. And it's like 5,000 people. Not everyone's going to love this song, but you find this energy, you manipulate that, and, you know, and it's just, it's just amazing. I mean, any DJ you talk to, they'll probably explain that sort of theory it's just that energy you tap into. And it, when it's working, it's incredible. Mind you, when it's not working, it's like, <laughs> Do you even have nights like that? Even yeah. though they go, oh, Idris Elba's here, that's great. I, I think I always have nights like that. My team would be like, you're too hard on yourself. I'm like, no, I just didn't hit it. I didn't hit it how I need to. Yeah. That's how you keep it sharp, though. 100%. That's how you keep it sharp. 100%. Um, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. And I, I just feel like listening to your journey... At moments like this, when you're out celebrating this big Netflix movie you had, you must have a moment of pause and go, man, I worked for this. <laughs> you know, I came a long way, not just from New York City, but going back to your hometown mm. and working in that Ford plant. Mm. Do you pause and think, man, I've hustled my way pretty far here? Yes, I do. There's no doubt about that. But you know what? I still feel like I've got so much to offer. You know what I mean? I still feel like that guy that's sort of waking up in the van going, today's the day. I really do, you know what I mean? Like, it's not that I'm greedy or anything. It's just that um, I never really want to lose that sort of, that, you know, inquisitive, what can I do? What can I offer? How can I sharpen? How can I achieve? I never want to lose that. You know, we, we have a sort of maybe life expectancy of, what, 70, 80 years? And in that time, we get to use this body. What, what do we do with it? Mm. You know, that's really my theory is like, well, what do we do with it? We can sit chill and, you know, have a satisfied life or we can experience life. You know what I mean? And that's what I, that's what I'm about. And next up, Luther goes to Hawaii. We can't wait to see it. <laughs> Hawaii, Jamaica. Yeah, just Columbia, somewhere warm with palm trees. Yes, 100%. <laughs> Thank 100%. you, man. This Thank is fun. I appreciate it. My big thanks again to Idris for a great conversation. And we certainly will look forward to that tropical version of Luther. You can check out Luther, The Fallen Son, his new film now on Netflix. And my thanks to all of you for listening again this week. If you want to hear more of my conversation with our guests every week, be sure to click follow so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to tune in, of course, to Sunday Today every weekend on NBC. I'm Willie Geist. We'll see you right back here next week on the Sunday Sit Down Podcast. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.